starts off with some words. It depends on your version of the Bible, but the words it starts off with is yet to him. Um, and you go up into the verse before that, and you get the idea is uh, notwithstanding evils. And the assumption here is that, and this has been a theme recently, I hope you've picked up on this, but there's an assumption that is made here that evil comes, that evil is a part of life, that we exist in a non-perfect world uh, around non-perfect people. We're in relationship with people that are not perfect. We uh, trust people that aren't perfect. We are vulnerable with people that aren't perfect. And so there are many, many, many opportunities for things to happen that would be hurtful or that may not go our way or maybe something that uh, we would prefer not to happen. And so it happens. And, and that's the assumption. And there needs to be an assumption in our lives that certain things are not going to go our way. There needs to be an assumption in our lives that certain things aren't going to be the way we wanted them to be. An assumption in our lives that sometimes things are going to be hard and tough. And also that there are people out there that are just downright evil. And I hope you understand that. I think sometimes we like to pretend that people aren't that way, but they are. I think sometimes we like to pretend, like, oh, you know, they're well-meaning. Well, maybe they're not. And, and that happens. And there are people out there that are not well-meaning. And there's people out there that, that want to hurt other people. And and there's people out there that are out to take advantage of people and out to uh, do things that shouldn't be done. And we don't like to think of people that way and we don't like to think of those kind of situations, but they do come up and they do happen. So uh, I just want to say that because I think sometimes we, in our efforts to you know keep things cheery in our lives, we sometimes make stuff up, and I don't know that that's very healthy. Uh, I think there's enough that in our in our world and, and enough that, that God does in our lives that can cheer us up and uh, that, that is real, and there's a real joy that God can give. Uh, there's a real happiness that God can give into our lives that we don't have to make things up. We don't have to pretend certain things or or, or try to pretend this isn't really the way that it is. So uh, I just want to say that um, notwithstanding evils, and, and that's what you see here, yet to him. In other words, notwithstanding the fact that there's certain evils in the world and there's certain things that come our way that don't go our way and certain things come our way that we don't like because I think all those things are true, life does have its advantage. And, and one of the things that life has its advantage of is that there's always an opportunity for change. One of the advantages of life is that as we move forward, as we continue to move forward in life, there's opportunity for something else. There's opportunity for something new. There's opportunity for something real. There's opportunity for something loving. There's opportunity for something that is better than today or yesterday or 20 years ago or wherever your brain is stuck. That there's always an opportunity for something more. There's always an opportunity for something better. We're alive. And being alive gives us that opportunity. Uh, the problem with death is that there's no more opportunity for change. That's a problem with death. Uh, and, and, and that's just the fact that 
We make our decisions now. We do what we're going to do now. We live our life now. We make changes to our lives now. We take, put our best foot forward now. We do what we're going to do. We live like we're going to live now. Because once we're dead, we can't do any of those things. And so there's a distinct advantage to life in that we have opportunity. And, and that's really the, the, the beginning of this, the being still alive, and why that's an important thing, is that yet to him, notwithstanding the bad stuff that's happened, notwithstanding the bad stuff that may be happening right now, notwithstanding things didn't go our way, maybe before or now, or whatever's going on in our life, notwithstanding any of those things, we're still alive. And because we're still alive, every person in here is still alive. I'm going to give you that one, all right? I, some of you, I'm going to give it to you. You're still alive. And because I'm giving you that you're still alive, that means there's still hope. And so there's hope that that change can happen. There's hope that tomorrow can be better than today. There's hope that next year is going to be better than last year. There's hope that our life is going to be different for the better in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. There's hope. And we all carry that hope in that we're still alive. And, and we're, when those, those that are joined to life, and, and there's two parts of that I want you to understand, being joined to life in the sense that you're still alive, you're living, what I just talked about, but also being joined to life, and there's a, a certain eternal factor to life that, that we have to factor in. We have a faith that takes us beyond our 70 years, 80 years. We have a faith that takes us beyond that which we can measure in, in just how many breaths we take. Because we have a faith that tells us that life goes on beyond what we would call a physical death and that there's, there's life beyond that. Jesus talked about it when he talked about how God is God of the living. And, and he was using the example, he says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now all of the, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by the time that Jesus was around, they were patriarchs, and they were long dead physically. And yet Jesus was saying that they're still alive. And Jesus was joined with them in life. Not just the idea that, oh, Jesus was alive here on the earth, but he was also joined with them in life that they're still living in eternity. And so we have this, this joining that is immediate, that is physical, that is now, that I'm still alive. But there's also a joining with us in life that goes beyond right now. It goes beyond just our physical being and moves into a, a different realm, moves into a different place of eternity. And so why is that important? Well, that's important because not only is there a hope for now, not only is there a hope for tomorrow, and next week, and next month, and next year, and those are important hopes that we need to, to really cultivate in our life. We need that hope in our life. But we have an eternal hope. We have a hope that goes beyond just the next few years, or the next 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 70 years, 80 years. We have a hope that extends way beyond into the future. A hope that we can rest in. A hope that we can find just a, a peace in, a joy in, also. And so, those are two different levels that he's speaking of, and he says, yet to him, notwithstand the evils of the present day. 
that he who is joined to life, meaning here and now and forever, he who is joined to life, he who continues with living people. You know, it's important to have people who are alive around you. If you surround yourself with dead people, and I don't mean that in a literal sense, like you're hanging out with dead people, but more in the sense of their spirit being dead. More in the sense of their soul being dead. I mean, I, I don't know, but if you hang out with enough, let, let me just use this as an example. If you hang out with enough depressed people, guess what begins to happen to you? You know, really, if you hang out with enough angry people, enough bitter people, guess what begins to happen to you? And these are all like just super simple things, and, I, and I, I'm not saying you should never be around somebody that may be struggling with some depression, or you never should be around people that are struggling with bitterness, because that happens, and you will be around people like that. And we're called to people like that to minister to them. But I, I'm telling you that to commiserate with death, to commiserate with death is to bring death upon yourself. And you know what? You can always find people that are in a bad mood. You can always find people that agree with your bad mood. You can always find people that are willing to agree with you about how life isn't fair. You can always find people that are willing to agree with you how everything is just bad and everything's terrible. And, and there's always the people and they, they seem to commiserate together, but there's no life in that. There's no life in that. But if you will join yourself, if you, you will continue on with living people, you're going to find life in yourself too. And those are the people you really want to continue on with. And you may want to need to look around sometimes and say, all right, well, who am I hanging out with at work? Are you hanging out with the dead people? The bitter people? The angry people? The people that maybe they'll agree with you, but it's not for the good? Maybe you need to begin to change that some and, and hang out with some people with life. You know those annoying people that see the good and stuff? Those people? How annoying that can be. And I get annoyed with that too, but those are the people you really want to be around in, in a lot of ways. You want to be around people that are living. You want to be around people that are willing to live their life and, and join them with that and join in with that life and join in with, with the life that they're living. And I want to say too, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that this is a worship of life. Because giving our lives sometimes is necessary. It just is. And our best example of that is Jesus. That he went and he sacrificed and he gave his life for something bigger than him. For, for a huge cause that it needed to happen. But even Jesus, when it came down to him giving his life... I mean, he had to make a decision about that. He wasn't looking to die. And and you see that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying to the Father and he says to his Father, he's like, Father, if it be possible, would you take this cup from me? In other words, the cup of his death, the cup of his suffering that he was going to face. And he asked the Father, is it possible that you could take this from me? And the answer was no, it wasn't possible. That he was sent for that reason and that there was a, a purpose behind his death and there was a purpose behind him giving his life. And Jesus concluded that. He said, well, not, 
He says, but, but regardless, not my will. In other words, what was Jesus' will? Not to suffer and die? Okay, that's healthy. That's healthy. Not my will, but yours be done. It was the Father's will. And Jesus submitted Himself to the Father's will that it would be done. And He went to death on a cross. And there are some times that it's the appropriate thing that we give our lives. And and you, you think about, and I'm not talking about the modern day uh, definition of hero, because everybody's a hero. I'm talking about like the real definition of hero, when people give their lives for a cause or something bigger than them or for another person. And I mean really. And I want you to, to consider that. I want you to consider that they made a decision. And maybe that wasn't, maybe it wasn't something they wanted, but nevertheless there was something greater at stake and there was something greater at hand and they gave their lives for something greater. And I think there's an honor in that and I think there's a purpose in that and I, and I think that, that that's important for us. Now greater love has no man than this than what? He laid down his life for his friends. So, I'm not talking about worshiping life here. The Epicureans did that. The Epicureans, that was a Greek philosophy, I don't know, three, four hundred BC, sometime like that. And they, they, they came to the conclusion that nothing really mattered and so, you know, they just set themselves toward pleasurable things in their body. That's the best they could come up with. And so, that's nowhere near what I'm talking about. And we don't worship the body as God. And I know you could take some verses. I, I know, like, in, sometimes I'm in a gym or something. I look up on a wall. There's a banner that says, your body is the temple. All right? Or your body is a temple. So, and what they're trying to say is take care of it. Now, I know that that's almost a, a quote from the Bible. I know that. But it also encourages something that I'm not encouraging. It encourages almost a worship of the body. The rest of that verse is your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Alright? It's not the temple of you. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there's a measured way of understanding that, and there's a measured way of moving forward in that. I mean, obviously, obviously, I believe in being healthy. Obviously, I believe in doing what you can do to be healthy, and that's all good. But we don't worship our bodies, and we don't we don't worship this physical thing. We join ourselves to life here and now, and life eternal. And it's there that we find ourselves, and we begin to move in ourselves in a real life that matters. Now, the, the idea here is that if we join ourselves to life, in other words, still alive, I'm still alive, notwithstanding all the stuff that's going on around me, notwithstanding how I feel today or yesterday, you know, or whatever, notwithstanding any of those things, but straight up, bottom line is we're still alive, then if you're alive, and I, and I, and I was starting to talk about this earlier, if you're alive, you still have hope. 
And hope is key. Because I believe what, what hope does for us is that hope will give us comfort for the present. Whatever your circumstance is. Let's say things aren't going your way today. Things aren't going how you want them to go. Things aren't going the way that you planned it out. Well, you can have hope in that circumstance. In your circumstance right now, you can always have hope. Why? Because things might change tomorrow. Tomorrow may be a better day than today. And I'm going to exercise some hope toward tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. I'm going to keep exercising that kind of a hope. That we're going to have a better day. I'm going to exercise that kind of hope that, that something else is going to take place tomorrow. And so in my moment today, in my present situation, whatever that may be, bad, good, indifferent, whatever it is, bored, happy, excited, downtrodden, lifted up, whatever your circumstance is, there's comfort. For right now. Hope brings comfort. And so, I'm alive, still alive, I got hope. What does hope do for me? It brings me comfort right now. Hope also brings me more happiness now. Why? Because I know that there's a better day ahead. I just know. There is always a better day ahead. It may not be tomorrow, but it's coming. It's coming. And so I can have more happiness now. I can live in more happiness because I know I'm never stuck. I don't have to be stuck. There's always, always something better on the way. Always. And so I don't need to be stuck. I don't need to live stuck. But I can be happy and live in more happiness right here and right now. And the third thing that hope does for us is that it gives us vision for a better life. Something coming that's going to be better than where I'm at right now. I don't know how they did it, but my grandparents... Somehow instilled that in me growing up that today was not the end all of my life and that there would be better days ahead. And I heard they talked to me about where they came from and the type of life that they grew up in and the hardships that they faced. And because of those hardships and because of the life that they grew up in and all the, and how far they had come by the time I came along, and how they were living then, they, they could tell me how they had been blessed and how things had gotten better since when they started and where they were then. That stuck with me because where I was then, I had every hope and every belief that things were going to get better for me. And I still have that. I still have that somehow. And, and I know that, 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 that doesn't mean I'm exempt from any kind of worry. It doesn't mean I'm exempt from any kind of concern. It doesn't mean that I'm exempt from any kind of wondering what's going to come next because all those things are still a part of that. But deep down inside, in a big picture kind of way, I just have this belief that things are going to get better. Is that because I live in America? No, it's because that Jesus, I have a relationship with Jesus. 
It's because of my relationship with God that I have that hope. And, and I mean, as bad as whatever is happening is happening, or as good as whatever is happening is happening, my hope isn't founded in whatever is happening. My hope is founded in Jesus. My hope is founded in Him and who He is and what He's done. And so I'm going to continue that hope. That regardless of my circumstance, regardless of what I'm facing, that I serve a God of abundant life. That I serve a God who loves me and cares for me. That I serve a God that has something better. A God of vision and a God that is moving us forward together. What's that going to mean in the future? I have no idea. I just know it's going to be awesome. And if it's not in this life, it's going to be in the next. And so I don't need to worry about whether or not how this is going to end up. I just don't. It's going to end up better than it is now. One way or another, things are going to end up better than they are right now. Now, I want you to consider the idea of a living dog. Now, first of all, you've got to understand what a dog is in, in the context of this passage of Scripture. Dogs are no good. All right? Now, I know we love doggies. I know we do, that, that we, we love doggies, but they were not what we consider to be dogs now. They were dogs, but they weren't a pet. Dogs were not pets or companions. That's just not how they saw dogs. That's not how they related to dogs. It's not what they understood dogs to be. So I say that right up front so you don't get offended on behalf of all dogs. Because it, that's just not the way they saw them. That's not the way they understood them. Uh, even in my lifetime, the status of dogs has really improved over time. Uh, you know, I growing up, my first dog was never in the house. Never. That dog lived outside. And one day that dog ran away. And was gone for two weeks. And you can imagine what he was doing when dogs run away. And uh, we found him. My grandfather, one night, he's like, all right, well, because I was really worried about the dog. And my grandfather's like, he's a dog. You'll be all right. Don't worry about it. And so one night, my grandfather's like, all right, let's go look for the dog. It was after two weeks. And so we drove around in the car, and we found him in a ditch. And, I mean, he was alive. He was okay. And we put him in the car, we drove him back, and he never left again. It was just the one time. But he lived outside, he had his little house. We'd go out and we'd feed him scraps of food, and that's how he lived. And I'd pet him every now and then, but I mean he had ticks, he had fleas. He was a dog. Now, status of dogs, been to my house. We have designer dogs now. <laughs> so, I mean, my son's dog has a polo shirt and a raincoat and booties to wear. I think that's weird. Just saying. It's a little bit weird. But back then, dogs, they weren't so, um, so, so well off. 
So let's look up some verses on dogs. So you know I'm not making this stuff up. Somebody look at uh, 1 Samuel 17.43. 1 Samuel 17.43. Sheepdogs, that's one of them. All right, one of the ways they used them. 
And, but who wants to be with the sheepdogs? Nobody. That's a lowly place. It's like the lowliest place he's going to think of is if you're with the sheepdogs. So you're in a bad state if you're with the sheepdogs. And uh, Isaiah 56.10. Isaiah 56.10 Israel's watchmen are blind, they all lack knowledge, they are all youth dogs, they cannot bark, and they lie around in dreams, they love to sleep. Alright, and so the second thing you see here, alluded to in this verse, is that dogs were also used as watchdogs. So you had the sheepdogs, you had the watchdogs, they're the, the only two real uh examples I have of how dogs are even used in their day, all right, and the rest of it has to do with, I could have pulled out a bunch of verses about how bad they are, they were looked at as unclean, unclean, and so a dog, in their understanding of a dog, was an unclean animal living or dead, didn't matter if it was alive, didn't matter if it was dead, it was unclean regardless. And again, lumped in with the swine. Dog is an unclean animal in the Old Testament sense. Lumped in with the swine. So, you have to understand that to understand the verse. Because what this verse is saying is that you've got a dog which is the worst. It's unclean. It is dirty. It is lumped in with pigs and swine. So you've got the dog, and then there's a contrast made with the lion. So understand how lowly the dog is first. Alright, then... You look at the lion, and the lion is considered the noblest of all animals. So you've got the worst, and you've got the noblest of all animals. And there's a contrast being made between these two things. Let's compare and contrast. The worst, the best. And under normal circumstances, if you had to choose one of these animals to be you'd say, okay, well, the lion, because they're the noblest, they're the strongest, they're the bravest, they're the best. Statues of made are made of lions, and, and, and all, you know, the lion is considered, I mean, it has all these noble characteristics of animals. And all these things even people want to have, characteristics of courage and bravery and strength, all that the lion represented. So in most circumstances, almost every circumstance, if you had to pick between I want to be a lion or a dog, you're going to say lion, except for this one. There's a problem with this one. And, and the problem that's presented in this and the circumstances presented in this, this is the factor that's more important than anything I just said. And I just spent ten minutes talking about this, alright? We looked up verses. And I went to great lengths to tell you about the dog and the lion. 
But here's the fact that you really need to be concerned about. The dog is alive. The lion is dead. Yeah. So, understanding that factor, that changes the equation. Because what the proverb is here, that's being presented here in Ecclesiastes, is that what he says is it's, it's better, it is better to be a living dog. In other words, it's better to be unclean, to be dirty, to be rejected. It's better to have all of these terrible, horrible characteristics about you, to be in, in, in line with and understood with the pig. It is better to be among the swine and be alive than it is to be the noblest of all creatures and be dead. And that's what he wants to get across here. Because what he's trying to say here is what we started out with, and that is life, by its nature, brings hope. And so the vilest of creatures, the vilest of animals, the dirtiest, the most rejected of all that you could consider that a dog is, and remember, their definition of a dog, it's better to be alive and that vile than to be dead and noble. Now, there's a lot of spiritual implications to this verse. A lot. Because there's implications to the idea spiritually of being alive and spiritually being dead. And there is plenty of understanding of what that really means. Of what it means to be alive in the Spirit. What it means to be alive in God. What it means to be alive in, in who He is. And I think Jesus described it best when He was talking to the Pharisees. And, and you think about this for a second. The Pharisees were very noble at least in their own minds, and in the minds of most of the people. They, they had this thing going where they were the holiest because they said they were. That they were the, the most noble because they said they were. And people believed them. And people believed that, that they were the most holy. They believed that they were the closest to God. They believed that they were the ones that understood the Scriptures. They were the ones that they had everything... There was to have when it came to God and what God was doing in the world. So they represented all that to the people. And Jesus told them, and He told them every time He got a chance, He was it's like, yeah, you're like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Is the way He described them. In other words, dead. Dead. You appear to be the noblest of all creatures, but you're dead. It's how He described them. And the contrast he gave them, he's like, yeah, prostitutes and tax collectors and all kinds of sinners are running the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, before you are. That didn't go over very big. 
And some of you right now in your own minds reject that. You just reject that. Because you were taught something different. And I didn't just make that up. Jesus said that. I'm not, I'm not making anything up. I'm just letting you know what He had to say about it. And that's uncomfortable for a lot of Christians. That's uncomfortable for, you know, what they want to believe about themselves, or they want to believe about the church, or they want to believe about the, the perception of people for the church and all of that. But I want to tell you something that, that whatever the judgment of, whatever the world's judgment of the church doesn't matter. And I know, I know people want to try to make it matter. But I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. Because those people judged Jesus for what He did. Those people judged Jesus for, for the people that He hung out with. Those people judged Jesus as disciples for eating with tax collectors. Those people judged Jesus about the company that He kept. A woman that they came and that washed His feet was a prostitute. He got judged for that. He got judged for all kinds of things. And he wasn't so worried about the perceptions of the people out there as he was doing what needed to be done right now and here. And the idea that, that tax collectors are entering the kingdom of heaven before Pharisees, that was uncomfortable. And it is uncomfortable. Because in modern terms, you get those same things like the, the heathen and the tax collector and, and the prostitute or whoever, whoever you want to think of as being the vilest of people, are in the kingdom of heaven before religious people. Well, they are. Whether you like it or not, whether you're comfortable with it or not, that is what is going on. And I'm going to tell you, if you're one of those people, you're a little bit vile in your life, stop judging yourself. And stop, and, and stop putting up a barrier between you and entering the kingdom of heaven. So I tell you, God didn't put that barrier up. If there's a barrier up, it's because you did. And you need to stop. You need to stop. If you really want to enter the kingdom of heaven, then enter in. Then go. Do it. Because as a live dog, you are better off and more suited for the kingdom of heaven than a dead lion. Those of you that ever heard me teach on this passage, I, I distinctly identify with the, with the live dog. And I, and I mean that. From the time I started off in what I do, the time I came to know Jesus, until this day, I identify as a live dog. Because I know where I came from, and I know what's going on. And that's why, you know, you hear me talk about grace all the time? You betcha. You hear me talk about mercy all the time? You better believe it. Because I believe that. I need that. I'm in that category. I want that. And so the live dog, the live dog is better off than the dead lion. Does the living know? Oh, let's look up a verse here. Proverbs thirty thirty. Somebody look that up.
Alright. The only reason I have that verse there is I want you to understand their mentality toward the lion. It's just the way I described it. They're just every good quality. Every good quality. That gives you a couple good qualities, but every good quality. That's where they saw the lion. So, the living know. In other words, like, we're aware. We're aware of things that are going on. We're aware of shortcomings in ourselves. We're aware of a future that we can have hope in. We're aware of God moving and changing things. We're aware of growth. We're aware of success. We're aware of failure. We're aware of what's going on and what we're going through in our life. And if we choose, if we choose to move forward in our life, then we can change and we can improve. That's always a possibility. We always have that hope. The dead know nothing. They don't know. And so, there's no reward for that. The dead don't know anything. They don't, they don't see the need for change. They don't see the opportunity for change. They don't see anything. Nothing. And so, as a living dog, we have the opportunity to know what's going on. And that we can change, and we can approve, and then we can improve. I mean, you think about the most despicable living person state is preferable to that of the most noble dead man when it comes to hope and change. You might be the most despicable person you can think of. I doubt that, but you may be. You may believe that. And even if that were the case, you're still alive and you still have the opportunity to change today. You know, Jesus was crucified between two malefactors. That means criminals, bad actors. One of them didn't want anything to do with him. The other did. And Jesus told him, he's like, yeah, you'll be with me today in paradise, the one that wanted something to do with him. Now that malefactor had lived his life, done whatever he was going to do, committed whatever crimes he committed, ended up on a cross, was dying on that cross beside Jesus, decided he wanted to have something to do with Jesus right then and there, and Jesus said, all right, well, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Wow. Wow. Talking about last second, right? But you know what? That living dog, follow me? That living dog, that despicable human being, had enough sense to call on Jesus and was given eternal life right there. That other guy, forget about it. Forget about it. Done. You see, he took the advantage of change. He took the advantage of seeing something better. He took the advantage of calling on the name of Jesus. 
Because I tell you, if we can call on the name of Jesus, if we can let that hope rise up in us for change and something different and something more for our lives, that will lead us to find a, and I'm going to say it this way, to find a cheerful, a cheerful confidence in God. That's what it leads us toward. The same God who, 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 who told that malefactor at the last second, yeah, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, that's who we're dealing with. If you call on the name of Jesus, you'll enter the kingdom of heaven way before a lot of people you think are skipping ahead of you. Because I think sometimes as the church, we think God's concerned about stuff He doesn't care about. I mean, really. And I've tried to help you begin to understand something different for your life. And I'll tell you something that God cares about. And I've told you this before. He cares about you being loyal to Him. That's a secret. Don't tell anybody. But He really cares about that. If you look to the Old Testament... And you go through, and you can see the children of Israel doing a lot of despicable things. But you know what really, really got them in trouble? It's when they weren't loyal to Him. That's what really got them in trouble. And what He looks for in us is just a faithfulness. Not a perfection. Never a perfection. Just a faithfulness. Just to be willing to turn to Him. Just to be willing to, to, to give our lives and say, yeah, yours, Jesus, whatever. I want something better. I want something more. I want to see something better out of my life than what I've been able to produce. That's honest. you got to know and admit what you produced is really crappy. you got to have enough sense to admit that when it happens. It's just really crappy. I want something better. I want something better. If you'll stick with Him, you're going to see it. I don't know what it will look like, but you'll see it at some point. If you'll stick with Him. I'm a big believer in that. To a fault, I'm a believer in that. And I want to encourage you toward the same. Because I believe God has some really good stuff for us. I believe God has some really good stuff for you. I believe God wants to, to, to change some things in your life starting tonight if you're willing to allow Him to. If you're willing to just look at it and say, alright, I'm, I'm alive. Still alive. So what if you're a dog? You're still alive. So what if you're despicable? You're still alive. So what if you're kind of dirty? A little mangy? You're still alive. So what if other people don't like you so much? You're still alive. Maybe you're lumped in with the pigs. You're still alive. And if you're still alive, then you have hope. You have hope. So let's take advantage of that. Let's take advantage of being alive. Because like I said, we're all alive. We're here. 
We made it down the stairs. We're sitting in here. Nobody's died in here yet. And because we're still alive, there's hope. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Let's take a few moments and uh, I just want you to respond to see what the Holy Spirit has for you. Maybe see what, what God may be saying to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. And Father, I thank you that you're God of hope. That none of us are too far gone because we're still alive. And so we know we're not too far gone. And so, Father, I pray that you would infuse your people with hope for tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year. And I pray, God, you'd pour your hope out into us. Because there's opportunity for change right here, right now. I just want to rebuke some of the lies of the devil try to keep us paralyzed and try to keep us from really moving forward in Jesus. I want to remind us of the tax collectors and the prostitutes that are entering the kingdom of heaven. I want to remind us of the Jesus who was not afraid to be identified with sinners. Even though people judged him, even though people wanted nothing to do with him because of it, it was his choice to identify with us. I just pray God would have enough sense to love you back. Thanks. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I ask you that uh, we would begin to see change in our own lives as we make a decision that it's time to change, then maybe what we produced isn't so great. But thank you that you're all about helping us. You're all about being with us. You're all about leading us. You're all about giving us an opportunity for more. I pray that we'll take that opportunity starting tonight. We step out of the muddy mire and step onto a rock. We're looking for something better. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Take a moment to say what you need to say. Do what you need to do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying, Amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. 
economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community died. Yeah, so a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 